Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Greg Laurie Podcast, a ministry supported by Harvest Partners. I'm Greg Laurie, encouraging you. If you want to find out more about Harvest Ministries and learn more about how to become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org. Today at church, we're continuing on in our series in the book of James that we're calling Walk This Way. And guess who's going to give the message? My friend, Tony Clark. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Tony. Tony is the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Newport News. He's an excellent Bible expositor. He loves the Lord, and we're so thankful for the ministry that God has given to him. So he's going to open the scripture for you now from James chapter 2. Let's give a warm harvest welcome to Pastor Tony Clark. Wow. You know, we, we are once again honored uh, to be here. My little uh, chocolate beauty that I have on this uh, front row here, and we, we are honored to be here. Uh, turn with me in your Bible to the book of James. The book of James, the book of James chapter 2. God bless you, um, uh, Pastor Greg. I, I, you, you're probably watching. Um, I'm honored to be here. Thank you again. Um, I told the, you know, did a little Devo for the Harvest people yesterday. Anytime Pastor Greg calls, I stop, whatever it is, and I'm on a plane heading out here. So I'm honored. I'm honored for his kind words that he just, he just said. So I'm just, I'm just living the dream, folks. I'm just living the dream of being here. So God bless you. So James chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. Father, we do thank you for this tremendous opportunity to share with your precious people here. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, you've given us this word. So, Lord, we pray that your spirit would teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, James 2, looking at verses 1 through 13, the title of this message is No Discrimination Allowed. No discrimination allowed. Now, we all know the last place, discrimination, favoritism, all that kind of stuff should take place is in the church. This is the last place it should be. And and, and the amazing thing about it is that we're going to see, even though this is the last place it should show up, it still shows up in places like this, the church. And James is going to address this kind of discrimination, which should not be in the church, but we're all vulnerable to it. We're we're, we're all, you know, we're we're not of this world, but we're in it. And because of that, we're we're vulnerable vulnerable to these types of things. And so look what he said there in verse one, because I gotta gotta already see, I gotta pick up the pace. Okay. Look what he says there. He says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Notice how he pleads with them as brethren. He is saying what I'm about to address should not be taking place in the church. He's pleading to them as my brethren, the possessive pronoun my that precedes brethren. is that says, no, look, I'm one of you. I'm pleading with you as being one of you. He's pleading with them as brethren, saying that those who hold to 
the doctrine of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what I'm about to say to you should not be happening. What I'm about to dress, James is saying, should not be going on in the church. And he is letting them know these things. And I believe that it needs to be said even today that what is about to take place, even though we're vulnerable to it, it should not be going on in, in the Lord Jesus Christ's church. He pleads with them. He is letting them know with this. He's letting them know about this in love. He's pleading with them not to hold, notice, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he, he meant business. You know, when I first got saved, I thought that was the Lord's full name. You know, Lord Jesus is the middle name, Christ is last name. You know, I thought that was, a, I mean, he must be really serious because he pulls out, <laughs> my, my whole name is Anthony Dwayne Clark. That's my government name. And so, 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 but you know, everyone knows it's Pastor Tony. It's as if he's saying, you know, Anthony Dwayne Clark. I mean, he's, he's using the full name of the Lord, the Lord uh, uh, of the church. Jesus speaks of Yahweh is salvation, Christ, Christo. He is saying that, look, this faith that we're holding to, what I'm about to address should not be going on in the church. He says, should not happen. And he's pleading with them in verse one. He said, we should not be holding the faith with partiality. Now, this Greek word for partiality is a mouthful. It's prosopolepsia. It's a great word. Notice it refers to a lifting up of a person in a superficial way based upon appearance, race, wealth, rank, or social status. The way that this verse is constructed in the Greek language, it speaks of a practice already taking place. And James is saying, stop showing favoritism. Stop doing it. He said, do not hold. That's the phrase that he's saying, stop doing what I'm about to tell you that you're doing. Oh, he now addresses the issue in verses two through four. Look what he says there. He says, for if there should Come into your assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, oh, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, ah, you stand over there, you sit at my footstool. He says, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Now, James is saying in verse 2, if someone comes into the church like a man with gold rings and bright, shining designer clothes, and, and a poor person comes in and you show favoritism towards the rich person, he says, are you not guilty of evil thoughts? And we're going to see that that word can be translated vicious intentions. See, there were those uh, in, in this particular, in James's day, those who were wealthy, who used to wear gold rings on their finger, except for the middle finger. The Jews in this particular time, they wore rings, but they were not made of gold. The wealthy would wear these rings and they would show off their clothing and, and, and they would show their economic status through 
the clothing and things they will wear. Even uh, Paul told Timothy about this, that there were those who would come into church with braided hair. In, in, in uh, 1 Timothy 2, he was talking about how the rich would weave their gold and silver in their hair, and they would come in like a big peacock, you know, showing off their, you know, their wealth. It's no different than today. You coming in with your Rolex on. You come in and you know, you, you got to roll up sleeve on that, that arm. <laughs> roll it way up, scratching your head. Everybody can see it. That, you know, dropping your keys is to a Bentley outside or something. See, this is the kind of stuff that was going on in the church, showing off their economic status. Now, the early church was made up of mostly Jewish people who were poor or they became poor when they became Christians and they lost everything. In this day, uh, when you became a Christian, you would lose everything, especially as a Jew. This is what it meant when they were talking about, you know, you read uh, in like John chapter 9, uh, the man was put out of the synagogue. What it means, you know, in our day, oh, he was, he was put out of the church. Oh, I just go to the church down the street, you know. Now, in this time, it was not like that. You will, you will be considered dead by your family members. You will lose whatever business you had. No one would come to your business anymore. And family would not want anything to do with you. It was serious business. So many people who might have had something, uh, some kind of wealth, when they became a Christian, they lost it all. And so they were very poor at this time, even though there were some who had wealth. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, and Cornelius, just to name a few. Uh, but the majority of the early church were poor. James is saying that it is not right that you show favoritism towards the rich person by giving him a good place to sit, a more comfortable place to sit. Now, what blows me away is what James says. He says that someone will come into your assembly. You see that? In verse 2, now what's amazing about that, synagogue is the Greek word for assembly. It's where we get the English word synagogue from. I thought that was interesting because he didn't use the word ecclesia, which means the called out ones, which is the typical word used for church. Showing that he used this Greek word, showing that the majority of the, the Christians at this time were Jewish. And so... The, the early church was set up very similar to the um, synagogues of the day, where they would have benches around the outside of the wall and a couple of benches up front, and that was for the Pharisees, the conservative religious leaders, they sat up front. In other words, seating was very limited, so most of the congregation would sit on the ground with their legs crossed, uh, or they will either stand up in the back. And so James is, is saying that, you know, hey, but when a rich person comes, you're showing them all this preferential treatment and you give them a good place to sit. And James said that this is not right. 
He says at the end of verse 4, you have become judges of evil thoughts. And the Greek word for evil thoughts is uh, paneros, and it carries the idea of vicious intentions, destructive intentions. The reason why the poor people were showing preference to the rich people because they had some wicked intentions hoping to receive some favoritism, hoping to receive, you know, here's a few dollars for your pocket, hoping to get something. And Paul, I'm I'm so used to teaching through Paul. And James is saying that this is not right. Now watch this. The sin was not the clothing and the material blessings nor the rings that they wore that the the rich people wore, but the evil thoughts and the intentions of the people showing special attention to the rich person. This was the problem. This is what was going on here. You tell the poor person, he comes in, you know, you can can get in the back somewhere or you can can sit at my, my footstool like some little puppy dog. And then the rich person comes in, oh, please, come, here's a seat right here, a good seat. James just said, what are you guys doing? He said, this is not right. Look what he says in verse 5. He continues. <laughs> he said, listen, my brethren, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Now, what James is saying is that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. Now, he is not saying that rich people cannot be saved. He is saying that those who are poor don't have all of the material things of this world that would, watch this, that would distract them from believing and trusting God. Let me ask you this. Has your wealth distracted you? Has it caused you to have a lack of faith and trust in God? Because for those who don't have the means that you have, many of them are trusting God. Okay, God, please come through. You know, I need you to come through. And whereas you, you just stroke a check. Throw money at it. And see, this is why he said the the poor, they have a a, a sense of trusting God and and a faith in God and believing that God is going to come through, whereas rich people just depend upon their riches. You know, whatever they want, they just throw money at it. Has that happened to you? Do you have a lack of faith in God because all you got to do is throw money at it? All you got to do is proverbially write a check? I I just wonder, you you, you guys have lots of material means out here. I just heard driving up here that a two-bedroom in Irvine costs $4,000 a month. I almost fell out the car. (laughs) I wouldn't have been here right now. I would have been on the side of the road, you know, because I fell out the car. Couldn't believe that. I I, I was like, what? I'm from Virginia. It ain't happening like that here. $4,000, you on the water somewhere. You know, but I just wondered, is that happening? Is that happening with you, that you have a lack of faith and trust in God because you've always thrown money at stuff? You've always been able, and God has blessed you, and I'm not trying to down your blessings. God has blessed you. 
But has that caused you to have a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God? If you say no, okay, good, I'm not talking to you. (laughs) But for some, they know who it is that I'm talking to. So, the rich, on the other hand, would have a tendency of a lack of trust, and they trust in their riches, as I mentioned. Jesus taught this in Matthew 19 for you note-takers in verses 16 through 30 when he dealt with the rich young ruler. This rich young ruler had it all. He had everything this world views as important. He had money, he had youth, and he had position. And he came to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I bet he said it with a kind of an air and kind of a smugness to him and just, what must I do? Because in his mind, he was thinking, I already know I'm going to heaven. Because see, in their mind, they felt if you were rich, that showed favor of God. And so he was rich and therefore he had favor. So he's coming to Jesus, kind of showing off. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I know you're not going to tell me anything I'm not doing already. And then Jesus gave him the second half of the Ten Commandments, which deals with our relationship with our fellow man. And he responded in pride by saying, all of this I have kept from my youth. What do I lack still? And then Jesus said, okay, I got something for you. You go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Now, Jesus is not telling everyone to do this, just this man and anyone else who has riches and material things, watch this, as their God. But when Jesus told this man this, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And I said, oh, no, no, he didn't. Great possessions had him. And then Jesus said, it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he went on to say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I just wonder, did I just describe you? Does possessions have you? Does your life consist of the pursuit of getting more? You want a better paying job so you can accumulate more possessions. Uh, This could be the reason why your walk with the Lord is not where it should be and why it is hard for you to trust God because of your possessions. I think all of us need to pray the prayer of Agur. You said, who? Well, that's a dude in, in, in Proverbs chapter 30. He said, he prayed a prayer in verses 8 and 9. He says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. He says, feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane your name. He says, give me just enough that I can keep trusting you. I believe that's a prayer that we all need to pray. And James is saying this is why God has given the poor faith because they don't have all of these material things to distract them and they have a simplistic faith to trust God. Watch this, for the little things like food, clothing, and for their kids and rent and mortgage. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 
uh, 1, 26 through 29. He said, you see your calling, brethren, not many wise, mighty, and noble. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise and the things that are despised and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that, and then he said in verse 29, the reason why, so that no flesh will glory in his presence. Look what he said there in verses six and seven. He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Do, you, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? I love that. James is rebuking the church for acting like the world when they show favoritism. He is saying that when people at the church treat the rich better than the poor, then we are acting like the world. James then, then goes on to remind them in verse 6. He says, aren't these the same rich people? The same rich people you showing favors to you? Aren't they the ones that's oppressing you? and dragging you to court. I, I, I want to draw your attention to the, the word oppress. Um, you know, it's, it's an incredible word. Katadunastiuo, uh, it's a great word. And that word oppress, it, it means to act as a tyrant over. He said, these same rich people that you're giving all this preferential treatment to, they're the same ones who oppress you, who act like a tyrant over you outside of the church. They take you to court so they can become richer. It's no different in, in this day uh, where the wealthy use their money to influence the courts. It was the same way back then. And then they come to uh, church to mess, make a guest appearance. And you show them special treatment. James is saying, watch out because tomorrow these same people are going to be dragging you into court. That word drag is helkuo. So the great Greek word, it means to drag against the will. It's like, it, it gives the connotation of you pulling someone and they digging their heels in, they're dragging their feet. This is what these rich people were doing to the poor outside of the church. Then they make a guest appearance in the church and then you're like, oh, sit here and sit there. Oh, is, is, is the temperature okay for you? You need a cup of water or something? What? And then they get outside the court and drag you, uh, outside the church and drag you to court. He said, these are the same people. I just... I just wonder, can, let me pause here and just say, this is the word for those who are bosses, those who are business owners. Are you doing this to your people? Are you acting like a tyrant over them, treating them any old kind of way because they work for you? You say, yeah, Pastor Tony, get those, get those business owners. My boss stinks. <laughs> mean, nasty. Get those business owners. Well, well, let me ask you this. How about those who do the landscaping at your house? Do you treat them that way? Do you treat them like a tyrant over them. Oh, you didn't get that. You missed the spot here. Oh, I'll tell you. Look, look at the weeds here. I mean, I, I can do this myself. Is this how you're treating them? See, this is the word for anyone who's over people. Anyone who has oversight. 
over department, over business, over someone at the job, you have to ask yourself, do you have this attitude, act like a, a tyrant, helkuo, the Greek word, act like a tyrant over them? And James is saying, as believers, we should not be like this. Boy, I wish I was in y'all small groups to hear what y'all going to talk about with this. <laughs> I wish I was. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your uh, neighbor as yourself you do well. He says, uh, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Verse 8 starts off with if. You, you, you see that in verse 8? In my Bible, it says if. In the Greek, it's, it's a first-class conditional, meaning that it should be translated since or because, because it is uh, the first-class conditional. Or it should say because or since you are fulfilling the royal law, then you should be loving your neighbor as yourself, which is a quote from Leviticus 19 and verse 18. Notice how James is correcting them with the word of God. That's how we correct people, lovingly with the word of God. Not your opinion. Your opinion don't mean the hill of beans. It's with the word of God, lovingly. The Bible says, uh, if you see a brother overtaken in the fault, Galatians 6.1, you that are spiritual, go and restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness and meekness. You know why? Because... That's how you're going to want people to restore you in gentleness and meekness. This is how it's done. So James is doing that here. James is saying that we should seek to love our neighbor as ourselves. This means that we seek to meet everyone's, not just the rich people's, physical and spiritual well-being. He is saying that our neighbor that we're called to love as we love ourselves is not just rich people. We should look out for those who are less fortunate than we are. Now, the Greek construction of this verse indicates that what this church was doing by showing favoritism towards the rich was not an occasional slip, but it was a continual practice. And James says, what you are doing is not right. He calls it sin in verse 9. So, too, the same is with us. If we greet someone of our own racial background, social economic status, and we greet them with great enthusiasm and invite them, you know, over our house, but we see someone that looks a little different than us, and we're turning up our noses, or we're not even speaking to them, you know, it's funny. <laughs> It's so funny. God has graciously allowed um, me to speak around the country. And it's funny, you know, we, we, we go to churches. We go, we, we've been to some churches. Some very large churches and small ones as well. And, you know, we come in. You know, I'm me. I'm going to be me. I'm, you know. And, and so, so, you know, I come and I sit down first just to kind of get the climate of the room. And then, you know, no one 
says anything, kind of ignore us. And I'm like, and then, then, all of a sudden, they hear, that's Pastor Tony right there. Oh, hey, Pastor Tony. Oh, it's so good. We're so glad to see. Oh, oh now you want to greet me now. But when you didn't know who I was, you didn't want anything to do with me. I said, oh. Oh, that's how we do it here. Showing partiality. This stuff should not happen in the church. Let's just say I was John Doe coming to try to visit your church and you treat me that cold? But then when you hear it was Pastor Tony. Oh, now you're giving a song and dance. And now, oh, it's so glad. Oh, I listen to you all the time. Oh, you're this, you're that. And I'm like, oh, what was all this energy when I just walked through the door? This stuff happens in all churches. All churches. It, we're, we hold the doctrine and teaching of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're showing partiality. Some people, I know some people say, well, you know, I'm just not that outgoing. I'm just, you know, I just, hey, watch this. And I understand, you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to get the point. The church is the only place that treats people like crap and expect them to come back. That hit, that hit a little bit, didn't it? <laughs> we, the church is the only... Did you know that, according to the experts, that people have decided in the first 11 seconds that they drive on to the campus whether they're coming back or not? That's before they hear one worship song, hear Pastor Greg, before anything, they have decided in the parking lot whether they're going to come back or not. Before they got any usher or greeter or anything like that, that's why we got folks in the parking lot. Parking lot. Umbrellas. I know y'all, y'all don't know what that. It, there's water that comes from the sky where we live. Okay, okay. We got, park, we got, we got parking lot guys out there with umbrellas, you know, taking baby uh, bags and, you know, bags and stuff, helping folks in. We, because, before they even heard me say a word, before they heard our worship team even do anything. The Bible says if you want friends, you got to show yourself friendly. See, somebody like that. And, and, and some of you, I'm looking at some of you now, some of you haven't smiled in 20 years. <laughs> I, I could, you know, I wish I had time. I wish I had time to help you. Because, you know, I, I will stand out there and I have y'all going out and, and, and you just, just tell, you know, do I have that type of faith? And I'll be honest with you. I would say, yeah, <laughs> we do. You do. We're we supposed to have the joy of the Lord. We got Jesus in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have God 
taking up residence on the inside of us. The least we can do is smile and act like we got eternal life in us. Good grief. Let me tell you something. I'm looking around there. Some people ain't changed their expression. I'm just like, yo, boy, y'all struggle, boy, I tell you. Wow. Eight, eight minutes? Good grief. My wife said I got eight minutes. Doggone it. Oh, boy. Orange County ain't going to let me keep going. I got to get to Orange County. Okay. Okay, let me get, good grief, I'm, I, I feel like I'm cheating the small groups. Okay, okay, verses 10 and 11, it says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and, and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. For uh, he who says do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you do not commit a, adultery, but you murder, you have become transgressors of the law. Oh, I really wanted to spend time with this and I don't have it. Now, James is saying, if you call yourself keeping God's word, but you show favoritism towards someone, you're guilty of breaking God's law. Ah, boy. It says, if you, if you think you're keeping the law and you stumble in one point, the word stumble there, uh, petaio, and it, it means to fall, to err, to transgress. What's so amazing is that Plato used this word to describe, to make a, a, a severe mistake. And it's an amazing word. If you stumble in one point, you're guilty of it all. The Ten Commandments, the law, is one unit. And if you break one, you break it all because you break the law's unity. And I love this. You know why? My, my son told me this, my youngest son. He, he told me this. He said, Dad, Christians today think that they can just pick and choose of which part of God's word that they're going to keep. And I said, you're right. We pick and choose. When it comes to the Ten Commandments, God's law, we can't pick and choose. This is why James said, he who says, I don't commit adultery, but I murder, and you think you're good because you don't commit adultery, but you murder. He said, no, you, you're still guilty. You offend the law in one point. You're guilty of it all because you break the law's unity. You can't pick and choose which part of the word. I'm going to pray, but I won't tithe. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my faith, but I won't love my neighbor as myself. You don't get to pick and choose, ma'am, sir. Or which part of God's law that you're going to keep? Which part of God's word you're going to keep? I don't agree with that. that. It ain't up for debate. God said it and that settled it. Whether I believe it or not. People say, God said I believe it, that settled it. God said it and I believe it. Whether it, you know, God, it settled. God said it. That should be enough. We can't break the law's unity. Watch this. Watch this. Let me give you an example of this because I know... I'm down to about five minutes. <laughs> Let me give you an uh, illustration of this from um, the life of David. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he was guilty of breaking the law's unity. He not only broke the seventh commandment by committing adultery, he broke the sixth commandment because he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed. He first broke the 10th commandment by coveting his neighbor's wife, 
when he did all of these things, he broke the fifth commandment and dishonored his parents. He broke the eighth commandment and stole his neighbor's wife. He broke the second commandment by placing his relationship with Bathsheba before God and thereby breaking the first commandment which said you show God shall be first in our lives. This is why James says if we stumble in one point, we're guilty of all of it because we destroyed the law's unity. Was there something in it that I just said that kind of struck you? Some of you here, I'm gonna say this as lovingly as I can. Some of you here were somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband. You're still in them. Because they're not divorced. They don't have a piece of paper. And that piece of paper is important. It says a certificate of divorce. The paper is important. Just like the paper is important with marriage. The paper is important. And some of you here, you stole some person's spouse. And God sees it. And he's calling it out right now. He loves you but he's not gonna stand for it. You're breaking the law's unity. It's, it's one unit. You can't say, oh, I, I'm, I'm obeying this over here, but you're breaking this over here. It's just one. If you offend the law at one point, you're guilty of it all. I wish I had time, I don't, uh, to get on that. <laughs> Let me just give you verses 12 and 13 and make one comment, I gotta close. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love how the word of God is called the law of liberty. Many people think, well, being a Christian is so restrictive. I can't do this, can't do that. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And no, 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 no. The word of God is called the law of liberty. The Lord is trying to set you free. He's trying to set you free from something. Set you free from the habits and heartaches and, 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 and addictions and things that you, you got going on in your life. It's the law of liberty. The Lord is trying to set you free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, John 8, 36. And so it says, the last verse, for judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. I look at social media now, try to less and less because folks are just nuts. They just get behind the screen and just say some of the most harmful, hurtful things. I just, oh, if you're that type, they deserve justice. They ought to get it. Judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. You don't show mercy, and then when you need it, and you will, no mercy is going to be shown to you. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Okay, I got one minute. Wife said I had one minute. So I got to close. I got to close. I don't want to go over, mess up Orange County, and, and then they say, you know, you can never come back again. This guy don't know how to end. So I got to end. I got to close. I got to close. And I'm going to close with this. I believe... God is going to judge people by the Ten Commandments. 
the law of God. And we went over the kind of the second table of the law. You should not commit adultery. Jesus said, you look with lust. You've committed adultery with them in your heart already. You said, well, I never murdered anyone. Jesus said, anger is at the root of murder. You're angry with somebody right now. There's someone you have not forgiven. And you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. Barner says, he did a, um, a study. He says 50% of everyone in every church in America, across America, this study was done. 50% of the people who sit in churches are not saved. They think they are, but they're not. You never repented of your sins and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we're going to do this quickly as we close. But you need to search your heart. Somebody is sitting here with somebody's husband or wife. You need to repent and get your life right with Jesus Christ. And so let's close in prayer so we can just do this the right way. Father, we just pray in the precious name of Jesus that your spirit will move upon this room. And Lord, there's some here who are not right with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, as every head is still bowed, you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm not right with God, but I want to get right with him. If that's you, just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. I see you. I see you too. Anyone else, God bless you. I see you. I see your hands all over. Let me, let me, just, let me just close quickly. I see you back there, ma'am. God bless you. Well, up top, did I see anyone up top? The lights are coming. God bless you. I see you up there. I just want you, God bless you. I see you here. Just repeat this prayer after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I believe you died on the cross and was buried and rose again. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Harvest Ministries, follow this show and consider supporting it. Just go to harvest.org. And to find out how to know God personally, go to harvest.org and click on Know God.